Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, last week I uh, started to open the door to a new series called uh, Half-Truths and Heresies. And uh, I know that sounds kind of intimidating, that sounds kind of crazy, uh, but we, I really want you to understand my heart as a pastor to make sure that what we're teaching in our church and uh, for, for Christianity in general, as, as well as we can make a mark or an impact on that, is that we're staying true to the Word of God. And the sad reality is a lot of what passes for Christianity in America today is not, in fact, Christianity. And so I think it's important for us to dive into the Word of God, to see what it actually says, and let this uh, serve as the basis of our foundation for all truth. Amen? And so last week, uh, I shared with you out of uh, 2 Timothy, Paul's kind of exhortation to his spiritual son, Timothy. Give me one second here, guys. My computer keeps uh, turning off. (laughs) But I shared uh, Paul's charge to Timothy, um, and his charge was to preach the word. And I I just want to quickly revisit this, uh, because this is kind of going to serve as the basis for the continuation of this teaching for the next couple of weeks. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 says this, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Talk about a, a heavy intro to what he's about to say. It says this, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Friends, my, my goal this morning is to convince you of something. My goal this morning is to rebuke you of what's wrong in your life. My goal this morning here is to encourage you, to exhort you with long suffering and patience and good biblical teaching. That's a that's a, that's a heavy goal. I want you to understand that. That's not something that I take lightly. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry." Over the last number of years of being a lead pastor here, I've had uh, a shocking number of startling conversations uh, regarding theology. <laughs> I don't know how many people I have encountered, um, I, I haven't like, kept track is what I'm saying, but I've had a good handful of people that have approached me with, uh, with some sort of belief, a deeply held belief by them, that was uh, counter-biblical. It was not orthodox. It would fall under the category of what we would define as heresy. But what I've had the privilege with that is, is when people come to me with this kind of uh, maybe twisted understanding of Scripture, or they have this belief that isn't quite fit into the realm of orthodox Christianity, um, I'm just shocked at the number of people that have felt comfortable Uh, kind of sharing what they believe with me. 
Um, and a lot of the times it comes across as they're looking for my approval, they're looking for me to agree with them. Um, and I'm thankful to say uh, good fruit has come out of those conversations. I have seen, I have seen uh, conversations and friendships not just maintained but strengthened. I've seen uh, biblical theology strengthened because those conversations were had. My concern as a pastor is the number of people that sit in chairs like you are here this Sunday morning that come to church that are active, that are engaged, that have wrong thoughts about God and the Bible and theology in general, but will never actually share those thoughts with me. Um, and so I can't, I can't pretend to read everybody's mind. But from the, the, from the number of conversations that I've had with people on, on the topics that we're going to really kind of dig into over the next couple of weeks, I can, only, I can only assume, friends, that there are more people than not that hold maybe not necessarily heretical views of Scripture, but maybe they don't have the full picture and the full truth of some very important things pertaining to Christian doctrine. And so my heart as a pastor is to do what we read here, to be watchful in all things, to pay attention to actually what people believe. And so while you're here, I, I want all of us to just, just be humble for a moment and, and really be honest with ourselves that we probably don't have 100% perfect doctrine. I, re I realize that sounds like a weird thing to say. Um, <laughs> you probably don't have perfect theology, maybe is a better way to say that. We're not, we're not talking about doctrine. Well, there's a distinction, but you probably don't have perfect theology. Um, and I myself uh, probably don't have 100% perfect theology. And you're like, well, why should I listen to you, Pastor Nate? Because I do believe that the Word of God does. The Word of God contains... 100% uh, perfect theology regarding Jesus and God and uh, salvation and everything that falls into that. And so what we talked about last week was the supremacy of the word, the, the need for the word of God and making sure that what we teach, what we believe, what we listen to is actually rooted and in, um, in fellowship with the word of God. Amen. And so I say this, I know, that, I know that we probably at some point are going to disagree on one, on some, some theological concept. And I'm, I'm okay with recognizing that we're probably not 100% eye to eye on everything. But my concern is some of these big issues that we're going to begin to tackle. Some of these things that I would consider heresy. Some of these things that I would consider uh, counter the gospel that we're going to explore. And if you find yourself, friends, hear me, hear me. I, I, need you to, I need you to understand this. If you find yourself in one of these thought systems, if you find yourself uh, saying, you know what, I actually think like that or I believe some of those things. My goal this morning is not just to come a, against what's wrong. My goal is to introduce you to what's right. And my goal, friends, is not to make you feel wrong or feel bad. I want to encourage you Please, if these are thoughts that you have, I want to have a deeper discussion than what a Sunday morning sermon can really allow or a lot for. We'll get coffee or we'll, we'll, we'll have a meal with my, my family or, or something like that 
where we can actually flesh some of these things out. Some of the studies that I'm doing for these particular topics, uh, one of the books is like $90 and it's like two volumes and really long and expensive and I didn't actually buy it because uh, it's, it's a little overbearing, but <laughs> looking at uh, heretical views throughout church history and these things, um, I can't give that all to you on a Sunday morning, but I really would love to have this be the invitation to open a, open a door to discussion if you find yourself maybe involved in some of these fringe thoughts or listening to some of these teachers that we might mention. Um, don't take it as, well, Pastor Nate thinks I'm a heretic and he wants nothing to do with me and he's just trying to shut me out of his life. Does that make sense? Do you guys grasp my heart there? Awesome. And so I want to be clear. My, my attempt with teaching this series is got a few points. The, the first point here as a pastor, I believe it's important for me to be watchful in what is being believed by the church. It's taken straight out of there from 2 Timothy to be watchful in all things, to be alert. I believe a good shepherd knows what's going on with his flock. And uh, these are just some things that I have seen. Uh, the issues have continued to kind of reemerge in one capacity or another. And so that's why I feel like it's important to address them from the pulpit on a Sunday morning. My second thing is that I do want to expose bad theology and doctrine, not through my personal preference, not just through what I think, but through the lens of Scripture. I believe that teaching sound doctrine is important and exposing what's wrong is also important. But that, comes me, that brings me kind of to, the, to my third aim here in teaching this series is what we read here in that charge to, to Timothy is to be an evangelist and to fulfill the ministry. I, I say this, uh, I don't believe it's enough to just expose bad theology without introducing people to the person of Jesus. I believe of utmost importance is the person in the presence of God. Um, I know that there are people with good theology that don't know Jesus. That sounds crazy. That's a bold claim. But there are people that are really concerned about having perfect theology that lack compassion. There are people that are concerned with having perfect theology and, and in the, certainly in the realm of academia, they get caught up in headspace without forgetting that uh, the Holy Spirit is a living, active, breathing person. And so my goal is not just to attack something that's wrong. My goal is to, yes, expose what's wrong, but also introduce to what's right. I've said it often before that the church is often known more for what it's against than what it's in support of, Right. Uh, if you ask the common person that's unchurched, uh, their portrayal of the church and media is that, you know, we're against gay marriage, we're against abortion, we're against rights, and we're for guns and Republicans, right? That's kind of, that's, I'm dumbing that down, but that's at least how the church is portrayed in media. And it's not a fair perspective of what the biblical church ought to look like. Agreed? Amen. Um, so I'm saying this. I so don't just want to leave you with a taste in your mouth that Pastor Nate is up here just kind of just beating up on things that he thinks is stupid and he doesn't like. Um, that's not what this is about. I believe some of these teachings that we're going to kind of expose or look at are dangerous and ultimately souls and lives are in the balance. And so it doesn't come from a place of, oh man, I just don't like this guy or I don't like this teaching or something here is just kind of silly. 
It comes from a place where I believe, especially given the hour that we're living in, a return to biblical Christianity is of utmost importance for the people of God. Amen? Amen. Okay. When I was in high school, I'd, uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago, like 13 years ago. Um, right? Is that? No, it would have been 15 years ago. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> I had recently given my life to the Lord. It was sophomore year of high school. And uh, I had a particular friend uh, that was following Jesus alongside of me. They were at the youth group when I showed up and started getting plugged in. And Jesus really began to transform the entirety of my life. Uh, those of you that are familiar with my story, I was a hellion and a half. Um, quite literally, I was you know, involved in the occult and demonic activity and just, I, I was terrible, and Jesus came in, rescued me from a home of drug addiction, and completely changed my life around. So to say that I took the, the saving work of Jesus seriously really, uh, really began to change my life as a, as a young man. And I kind of got plugged into youth group culture and had friends there, but I had a particular friend um, who started making some poor decisions um, and started to walk away from the Lord. And I remember being so grieved as a relatively new Christian that this person would kind of turn their back on Jesus and get involved in all this worldly stuff that I had just been saved out of. My heart was literally broken. I remember spending hours in tears, hours in intercession, just asking for God to move and particularly having conversation with this person and just asking them point blank, why are you doing this? What satisfaction do you find in, in walking away from the Lord and going down this road? And their response has, has, really, has really unsettled me ever since. They told me, you know, it's not that I don't believe in Jesus. It's not that I don't love Jesus. I just think Jesus would want me to be happy. Jesus would want me to be happy. I remember, I remember in my naivety and just kind of my snarkiness, probably as a teenager, immediately responding with something that I believe was, was not just from uh, my personality, but I believe it was initiated in the unction of the Holy Spirit, was that God's not primarily concerned with your happiness, he's more concerned with your holiness. And that's not to say that God doesn't care about how you feel. That's not to say that God wants, is some kind of sadistic being that, you know, he wants to have you live this monastic life where you're just in complete self-denial 100% of the time and there's never any joy or satisfaction in your life. But I do earnestly believe that uh, rather than the fleeting, the fleeting promise of happiness that exists with stuff or with people or with friendships, God is most, God is most, pri oh wow, that's not the way that I would say that in English. Uh, I believe God really prioritizes the fact that he wants you to be satisfied in him. He wants you to find joy and satisfaction in him because he's the only thing that doesn't change. When you place your joy and you find your happiness in people, people will let you down. 
Jill, Shannon is going to let you down someday. Shannon, Jill has probably already let you down. Let's be real. <laughs> right? Uh, I, as your pastor, probably let you down on a pretty consistent basis. But the reality is your joy can't be found with me. If you know if your joy is found in the stock market or maybe some of you are like dipping around with cryptocurrency or something right now, I know your happiness can't be rooted in something that is as volatile as money because it comes and goes. Your happiness can't be found in activities. I, I love snowboarding, but can I tell you, I know when I'm 80, I'm probably not going to be snowboarding. I hope that I'm snowboarding next year. <laughs> But there are, there are external circumstances that change and affect our happiness, right? But joy is secure when it's rooted in an unchanging God. Does that make sense? And so while, while, while on the surface that, that, that remark, well, God's not primarily concerned with your happiness as he is your holiness, I think that's true. God didn't die on a cross to make you happy died on a cross to restore relationship with him and by way of doing that, make you holy. There's sanctification that comes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into this because this thought, this thought process here um, really exposes the root of a worldview that plagues America today. This worldview uh, has a definition that sociologists coined as moral therapeutic deism, or MTD for short. Has anybody ever heard of moral? Some, it's, some people refer to it as moral therapeutic deism. Some people refer to it as moralistic therapeutic deism. Uh, I like moralistic therapeutic deism because it's longer. It makes me sound more intelligent. I feel like Adam when I use big words. Um, <laughs> or MTD. Has anybody ever heard of this term before? No? Well, this is awesome. This is cool. I thought everybody had already kind of had this knowledge. Um, <laughs> MTD, it kind of sounds like a disease, right? <laughs> Maybe a drug. <laughs> My wife and I were joking about this over dinner last night. We're like, yeah, it kind of sounds like a drug or a disease. What, what exactly is it? I was kind of walking her through what I was going to speak on this morning. And uh, the reality is moral therapeutic deism is both of those things. I believe that it uh, pacifies a culture, much like a drug would, and I believe it's as infectious as a disease that is deadly and detrimental. And I really want to expose that and, and kind of the reason why we're talking about MTD, which is what I'll sh kind of shorten it up, or moral therapeutic deism uh, today is because it is actually going to serve as a basic framework for a lot of the heretical teachings that exist and permeate progressive Christianity and evangelical Christianity as a whole that we're going to get into. So I'm going to, this again, if you are familiar with me, uh, MTD, this was initially just a one point, like a subheader in my sermon that I was going to preach next week, but felt like it was of such importance that we could break it down and pause and really give it a little more time today. So anyway... <laughs> Uh, you guys have heard me use the term nominal Christianity uh, in my preaching, talking about Christianity that is in name only. It's not actually backed by the lifestyle of following Christ. Uh, how many of you guys can, can attest that uh, we know plenty of people 
and evangelicalism as a whole is made up of people that would check the box on the census labeled, you know what, I'm a Christian, but their lives really don't reflect any kind of substance of faith. We see that in our culture. We can probably think of a handful of people that would, you know, if they, if they had to be pressed and asked to choose a religion, they'd probably say, well, you know, I'm not really religious, but I, I believe in a God, maybe. Um, what we see in our culture is this prevailing worldview of MTD, moral therapeutic deism, that I'm going to define here in just a minute. Uh, but I believe it's a close counterpart to nominal Christianity. And in fact, I believe MTD is the prevailing religion, and I use that lightly because I know people aren't going to be checking a box saying, you know what, I, I'm a moralistic therapeutic deist, right? Nobody's going to define themselves that way. But when I really begin to break down exactly what this MTD is, and this is a real thing, I didn't make this up, uh, <laughs> when uh, we begin to break this down, I think you're going to agree with me you're going to be like, wow, that is exactly one of the major issues that we're experiencing in our culture today. And when I say that it's the prevailing religion in America, um, I think you're going to probably nod your head in agreement with that. Um, and I have statistics. I have all the numbers and stuff if you really want to talk about that. But we're not going to go down that road right now. So the term moralistic therapeutic deism was first coined by sociologist Christian Smith and Milena Lundquist Denton in this book that was written in 2005 called Soul Searching the Religious and Spiritual Lives of the American Teenager. And so I uh, encourage you guys, uh, go get a copy of that book, read it. I've been uh, digging through it. It is actually very, very interesting. I wish I would have known about it when I was a youth pastor. It's not, uh, it's not necessarily a Christian book, um, it is written just really to kind of gather data on what teenagers believe. And again, this study was done right at the kind of the turn of the millennium. The book came out in 2005. So I want you to think for just a moment. These teenagers are now the ones that make up kind of the majority of what we would express as uh, evangelical Christianity now. They're not just teenagers anymore. They're my counterparts. In fact, uh, my counterparts are even a little older. In a recent study that came out of uh, Arizona State University, we see that not only has what we defined here as MTD uh, that was once targeted just when it was first coined, it was targeted just towards teenagers. Now it's the prevailing worldview that exists not just amongst teenagers, but also amongst... Uh, the entire category of Christians, of evangelical Christians age 50 and under, um, a good portion, when I say a good portion, it's like 48% would fall into this category of holding some sort of moralistic, therapeutic deism as part of their worldview. And statistics are cool, but that's not what we really want to get down. I really want to break down to uh, what it is. Um, so you guys have heard me say it like four or five times. Um, I'm just going to keep calling it MTD. Um, but it's based of, of five kind of core statutes. And these came through questions and research and uh, over 3,000 personal interviews with the average teenagers to really get kind of a good reflection of what people actually believe. The majority of these actually identified as Christians, and 
out of the kind of results of all of these different answers to multitude of different questions, um, the authors of this book came to define uh, MTD like this. And these are some of the beliefs that exist. We're just going to, can we walk through them just one at a time, Adam? The first one is that there is a God who exists. This is what if you, if you were to like check the box, hey, I'm MTD, this is what you believe. You believe in a God that exists who created and ordered the world and, watchers, and watches over human life on earth. That's, a, that's an okay starting point. We're not going to just completely derail that. And that's the issue that I have with this thought system is that it's not 100% counter-Christianity. In fact, it, I think it falls under what we would classify as a half-truth. Um, we actually see it uh, in somewhat, uh, on the surface level, being in agreement with Christianity. But as we dig deeper into this thought structure and this worldview, we see how counter-gospel it is. And so it starts, okay. But then the second predominant thought of the majority of culture that would classify under evangelicalism is this, that God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Again, this is based on the data that came back through this study. Um, the third one here is that the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. You remember my story of my friend that told me that uh, God just wanted them to be happy. <laughs> this, is, this is a predominant belief that is held by many people today. And it goes on, uh, the fourth one here is that God does, not, uh, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except for when God is needed to resolve a problem. Okay? This, this is pretty blatant black and white. We can see the errors in this as we're looking at it, but I really want you to think about the vast majority of people that maybe we know that are, that, that subscribe to thinking like this. And this is why we're exposing it. And the last one is that good people go to heaven when they die. And so, guys, I, I don't need to necessarily 100% dismantle this, at least I hope so for you, but I'm going to be referencing this throughout some of our other teaching, and I want you to understand what I'm talking about when I reference uh, moral therapeutic deism, because if you know me, I'll try to go back and explain it every time I mention it, and it's a mouthful, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> so thank you guys for tracking with me here for a moment. So why are we talking about this? You know, um, are we talking about teenagers? Are we talking about youth group? You're like, Pastor Nate, we don't even have a youth group. What's going on? Um, because I believe that much of what passes for Christianity today in, in American culture is actually just veiled moral therapeutic deism. I believe that we kind of have put like a Christian veneer over it, but it's really more about oneself than it is the glory of God. It's more, about, uh, it's more of a self-seeking self faith rather than it is a faith that is self-denying and uplifting and thinking of others. And uh, I'm going to break it down in just a couple ways here. And so um, let's, let's just start with moral therapeutic deism, okay? Um, so if we look at more moralistic or moral here, uh, 
it primarily reflects points two and five. The fact that God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. And uh, number five, that good people go to heaven when they die. That is the basis of morality for the people that would subscribe to this worldview. You see, uh, I believe that MTD places high value in being good. And that's not necessarily bad, right? We, we're, not, we're not here saying like Christianity is anti-being nice to people, right? Some, some people mistake that. They think actually Christianity is all about being a jerk. Um, it's not. <laughs> um, but what's wrong with this is that good isn't, for, for the person that would fall under this category, good isn't defined by what scripture teaches, but rather by what culture deems popular and good. And this is, this is a great battle that we're facing today, is that good is being defined by what we see on social media. Good is being defined by what we hear on TV or what, what our friends uh, kind of uh, throw out there. So tolerating behaviors that the Bible calls sin might be seen as good, while calling those behaviors sin might be seen as intolerant or hateful, which is bad. Can you see the dilemma that is about to unpack here. But if that doesn't provide like a, a stinging picture into a lot of what we encounter in culture today, I don't know what does. But then we go on and we see therapeutic. Uh, this is primarily dealing with verses three and four, that the central goal of life is to be happy, right? It's the American dream kind of repackaged. Um, or four, that God doesn't really need to be involved until we need him for something. How many of you guys have been that person where you didn't study for a test? You're like, God, I really need your help to pass this test. That was me in high school. I'll be honest. <laughs> I, I, I was there. I was done that. But for a lot of people, God is not really, God is an afterthought, right? We see, we see churches fill up after natural disasters and, 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 and terrible traumatic instances because we try to, we try to come to him uh, when we need something rather than him actually being involved in our day-to-day -day life, right? We kind of boil him into some kind of cosmic genie is literally the, I think, the, the language that the author of this book uh, actually uses. You see, uh, beliefs three and four, they highlight the therapeutic aspects of this worldview. It's God's job, if you will, to take care of us. Our happiness is paramount to that of God. And it actually takes priority over what he actually wants. Does that make sense? Do you guys track with what I'm saying here? And so within, and so this is actually, this is, a, this is a quote from that book that was written in 2005. It says, within this MTD religion, God is a cosmic therapist and a divine butler, ready to help out when needed. He exists, but really isn't a part of our lives. We are supposed to be good people, but each person must find what's right for him or her. Good people will go to heaven, but we shouldn't be stifled by organized religion where somebody tells us what we should do or what we should believe. And uh, that really encompasses a definition of what modern therapeutic deism actually is. And the deism part actually here, um, if you know, traditionally deists believe that God created uh, humanity, created the world, but then was immediately hands off you know, uh, which is counter the narrative of scripture. 
It's not uh, found in the Bible at all. So a lot, of, uh, a lot of critics of this term that sociologists came up with actually said that it shouldn't be moral therapeutic deism, but it should be moral therapeutic theism because a theist still believes that God is active and involved, that he responds to prayer and those things. And uh, it's not necessarily that God is 100% hands-off in this worldview. Uh, it's just that he's mostly not involved. Um, does that make sense? Okay. Everybody experts on MTD now? You guys are tracking? I, I, was, I was sharing with Adam, this feels very out of my element, uh, and especially for like preaching on a Sunday morning because I'm much more of the type of preacher, that teacher that wants to take a passage of scripture and really preach it. Um, but I say this because I believe it's important for where we're going in regards to exposing some false doctrine. And so with that, I want to just give some basic counterpoints to this theology. Um, if you find yourself maybe falling into this or say, you know what, that doesn't sound all that bad. Um, there Maybe there's some validity in here. It's not that everything that's said in MTD is wrong. It's not that everything here is said. It's just not said in full truth, which really begins to unravel and go down a road that is anti-gospel. And so the very first point, right, uh, if you want to throw that back up here, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. On the surface level, I can agree with that. On a surface level, that's good. But can I tell you, it's not enough just to believe in a God that exists. It's not even enough to believe that he exists and he created the world and that he's out there somewhere. You see, uh, right, James uh, 2.19 tells us that you believe that there is one God. You do well, but even the demons believe and they tremble at that fact. And so, great, you're in company with demons here uh, if you believe in God. And that's one of the things that I, I think has been so misconstrued amongst, uh, amongst people that I encounter when I'm witnessing or evangelizing. They're like, yeah, I believe in God. Well, that should be terrifying then because of the way that you're living. If you believe in God, it should demand a change in your life. You see, it's not enough just to believe in God. Our faith has to be placed and not just a God, but the God of the Bible, and that being Jesus, the God who created the world and watches over it, but he's also involved in it. So just moving quickly here, point number two, right? God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. We're not going to get into the most world religions, but we, we have a pretty like common understanding. Hey, you shouldn't kill people, right? That's a... like. That's a, I think that's a universal like, agreement. There's probably some like, crazy, uh, I guess, Islam, actually. Anyway, we're not, <laughs> never mind. We're not going all the way down these different roads. But the reality here is uh, we should be good. We should be nice. We should be fair to each other. Everybody agree with that? Be good. Be nice. Be fair to each other. It's not that that is necessarily wrong, Right? That's not bad. The, the gospel isn't counter being good. It isn't counter being nice. Um, but what's wrong with this is that it has to be on God's terms, not yours. Right? An MTD self defines morality more than God does. Central to the message of Christianity is that we can't do these things apart from the regenerative work of the cross. The, what Christianity does is it exposes the truth that you're really actually pretty terrible at being good. You're actually really bad at being nice and being fair to other people. 
and that you innately can't do it without the help of the Lord. Ephesians 2.1 goes, uh, goes to explain it like this, um, saying that you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And they were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. It's not a matter of that you were bad and now you're good because of Jesus. It was a matter that you were dead and now you are alive because of Jesus. And that's where this whole idea of a moralistic worldview breaks down. Yes, we want people to be moral, but we understand true morality only comes from surrender to the Lord. And uh, man, we could preach on that. We could talk about that for a long, long time. Okay, let's go to number three here, right? God wants people to be happy. I talked a little bit about this kind of as the introduction earlier that yes, uh, God's not like anti-happiness, but he really just wants you to find joy in him. Um, but I think uh, Romans eleven thirty six perfectly wraps this up. It says, uh, it's not so much about your happiness as it is his glory. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. That is how Romans kind of almost comes to a conclusion there is that, uh, you know, everything needs to work together for the glory of God, not for your happiness. The promise was never that God was going to come and die on a cross and restore relationship with him to make you happy. It does. We sing that song, oh, happy day, right? No? Get some, I'm not going to sing for you guys anymore. I'm sorry. Please don't leave the church because I did that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think the Westminster a catechism of faith really uh, does this one well, and I love it, is that they define that me, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that circles back to what I talked about, joy being found and rooted in an unchanging God, but in doing so, God is glorified. I'm not the biggest John Piper fan, um, but I do like a lot of what he has to say. And his kind of mantra, his mission statement, or what he feels like uh, really defines his ministry, and he says this, is that uh, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. And I think that that is so strong, friends. I think that is uh, really awesome. And at the end of the day, the goal is not just for you to be happy. And it's not that God's anti-happy, right? He's not, he, he doesn't want you to be sad and just broken all the time, but that's not the chief end goal of man. The chief end goal of man is to glorify God. And I believe as you do so, my happiness now in pleasing the Lord, even if I don't have all the stuff, even if I don't have all the friends and all the money and all those things that I thought I wanted, I can honestly say that I am happier today uh, than I ever was uh, pre-Jesus. Does that make sense? And so... Because um, really what the, the lie of the culture and the lie of the world that tries to sell happiness as an incentive to give into sin 
is a trick and deception. You guys understand that. Yeah, you're following with me there. Number four here is that God is uh, basically uh, a hands-off creator, right? That he doesn't need to be particularly involved with one's life, with the exception if we need him to resolve a problem or fix something. It's uh, whether we get sick or we have something catastrophic going in our life, and then we start to maybe look to God and say, hey, can you fix this? And this is really the crux of where I believe uh, MTD stems from, that I'm jumping ahead of myself here, but I'm just going to go down this road anyway, is that we have treated the Lord as something that we can just add to our life rather than surrendering everything to him. And, we, and this is what happens. We, we're kind of, as long as we're okay, and, and this is, I, I think, something that really plagues the West in general because we have so much, we have so much convenient, where we don't really need God to do most of the stuff. But then when, when we are out of options and we really do need him, that's when things get dire and you know something's wrong, and that's when we turn to the Lord. And obviously, that is not the design of Christianity. You know, that was never the intent of why Jesus came, is it not? He came so that we could know him, that we could have personal relationship with him. We could look at John 15 and spend all day there and see what God actually invites us into in terms of fellowship with him. It's not that, uh, it's not that he's hands-off. It's not that he kind of only intervenes when we need him to, though he does, right? We know that he answers prayer. We know that he loves to respond to his people. But it makes me think of Jeremiah 9.23. It says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, or the mighty man glory in his might, or the rich man glory in his riches. Did I say that one twice? Uh, But let him who glories glories in me, that he understands and knows me. There is an invitation that we have to know God intimately and personally, that he's the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness on the earth. For in these things I delight. You see, God has a personality, and he invites us into relationship with him. And I think one of the catastrophic things about this worldview that we're looking at here is that God is an afterthought, and he's distant. And then all of a sudden, you know, the rest of it, makes sense on why they would think that way because God's not actually present in their lives. And I want to encourage you, friends, if, if, if the extent of God in your life is maybe what you hear on TV or, or maybe what you hear a preacher say on a Sunday morning or, or, or something like this, you're missing out on the wonderful, glorious reality that he wants to have relationship with you. He wants to speak to you. You can hear him and he wants to hear you speak back. He's not absent. He's not distant. He's not locked away in the pages of a book. He's not somewhere up in outer space, but he's alive and he wants relationship with you. Does that make sense, my friends? And the last one, I I, I don't have time to go through every scripture reference where this is just wrong. Um, But good people go to heaven when they die. That is a commonly held belief, right? Right? We understand that there's this thought that exists within our culture that if your good outweighs your bad, then you're probably good, right? Um, or if you were just like a decent human being, you didn't kill anybody, you didn't run over any kids with your car or something like that, like maybe you're going to get to heaven when you die. Like St. Peter's going to be like, 
yeah, you did that stuff back when you were a teenager, but you were a teenager, and then you kind of got married and settled down. You did your life. You made your money. You, you didn't, like, beat your wife or something like that. I'll give you the green light. The reality is, Scripture is very sternly clear that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, and that the only way to the Father is through the Son. And, and I realize this sounds basic. This sounds... Uh, this sounds simplistic, and it's supposed to be. I'm not trying to like revolutionize something here, but the reality is what we're dealing with is a lot of people hold to these thoughts. And uh, I believe that some of us, even here in this room, are drifting away from biblical, authentic Christianity and buying into the lies where this is the foundation. And you might say here, you know what, those things don't define me. I, I don't really agree with any of them. Pastor Nate, I, I agree with what you said. But some teaching within modern evangelicalism really kind of finds its roots back here once we dig a little deeper. And my prayer is that that is exposed over the next couple of weeks as we dig deeper. So I, I say this, how did we get here? So this was initially kind of targeted towards what teenagers believed in the early 2000s, and we understand that they have grown now, and we see that as a predominant part of our culture. And I, I remember uh, I, I was reading different studies, and there was a lot of accusations being thrown around about how youth pastors were more interested in games than teaching the Bible, and there was a lot of blame from the church placed on kind of the effectiveness of youth ministry and how could we let our kids fail this way. And the reality is that's a crock. That, that, that's a, that's a cop-out because the church didn't do its job. Well, some of that's true, but if this is the predominant thought amongst young people, I believe that it was probably per perpetrated by parents. I believe that it probably existed long before this study actually ever brought it into the light. And what we're experiencing in culture today, where we see this thing that masquerades as Christianity, is really just kind of an extension of what people have believed all along because your actions, the way that you live your life, the way that you invest your time will really uncover what you actually believe about God. If you're seldom in church, you're, you're not going to try to explain to your kids while going to church is important, but it's just not maybe important for you, right? Anyway, that's, going down that road is not necessarily where we need to go. I believe the church's responsibility for how we've wound up here is found in the fact that we preached a different gospel. One that was contrary to the message of Christ because we wanted to give people what they wanted to hear. We wanted to tell people that say this prayer and you'll be good, right? We wanted people to fill our pews. We wanted people to kind of fill our, our, our congregations and make sure that we fill the offering plate more than we wanted to give biblical truth and the call to surrender all to make Jesus Savior and Lord. We kind of hit it where, yes, Jesus is God, Jesus is your Savior, but we neglected to emphasize the importance of also making Him Lord of your life. And I think that that is where we come to this sad reality of what plagues a lot of our churches today under this veiled Christianity, which is really just moral therapeutic deism. 
think it's what Paul warned us about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We do. I think it's what Paul warned us about in Galatians chapter 1. He was writing to the Galatians here, but it says here that uh, he marvels that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. When he says that it's not another, he's saying it's really no good news at all. But there are some who trouble you and want you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul says, if I come back on this, if I change my mind about this, if I say, no, that really wasn't what it meant, uh, let him be accursed. <laughs> and if you, if you really want to get graphic here, I'm not trying to be vulgar or anything like this, but if you break down that word accursed, it means go to hell. I mean, that, that's seriously what it means. I'm not trying to... That's what, that's what Paul's saying. It's pretty, pretty crazy intense. But it goes on, it says, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. How do we correct this travesty? How do we engage people that hold this mindset. If this is you, if there are things that I hit down this list and you're like, well, you know, Nate, I don't, really don't think that's all that bad and, and maybe you have that. Seriously, I, I want to talk to you. I want to have conversation with you. But I want you to, I want to be very clear. I don't believe this moral therapeutic deism is like a light version of Christianity. It's not just like an easier version of Christianity. I don't believe it's Christianity at all. The vast majority of self-identified Christians in our culture have not made Jesus both Savior and Lord. And this is, what, this is something I want you to mark. I believe just as much as the third world country is the mission field, I believe much of the evangelical church in America is our primary mission field as well. I say that not to, not to try to diminish world missions or anything like that. I, I'm... We're all about that. We believe in preaching the gospel where there has not been a gospel presence. But I, I, I fear that much of what passes for the church in our culture today, people have not actually authentically encountered the Lord. They have not authentically encountered a, an appropriate representation of the word of God and the gospel message. Um, I believe that, one, we need to recognize that a lot of what passes for Christianity actually isn't, and it's a mission field. And two, in the words of Paul that we kind of started this with, we need to do the work of evangelists. We need to preach Christ crucified. We need to preach the message that Paul preached was that Jesus died for sin. Not just sin in general. He died for your sin so that you could have relationship with him. Because really, man, we could break down this again. It's, it's anti-gospel. <laughs> it minimizes the work of Jesus. And it really says that I don't really have anything wrong with me. Right? <laughs> but that's not the diagnosis of Scripture. I think we need to teach what Jesus taught. 
What did Jesus teach? What? Matthew 16, 24, it says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Forever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and with his angels, and he will reward each according to his works. What we read here, what we, what we see here is that Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, it is going to be a continuous lifestyle of self-denial. It's not the treat yourself mentality of the culture. And the reality is when we give people an invitation to follow Jesus, I believe we have a biblical responsibility to be clear. It's not saying yes to Jesus so he makes your current life better. It's not just saying yes to Jesus so it makes your current life easier. It's saying yes to Jesus because he's worthwhile and it will completely change and upheave everything you thought you knew about the way that you're living. And we say, well, God cares about my personality. He cares about the things that I want. He cares about the things that he likes. Yes, I believe he intricately made you. He designed you with different passions and he created you in his image. But before he cares about your happiness, I do believe he cares about your holiness. I do believe that there are things that are more pressing than your preference and your desires and your wants. And the reality of it is we see the Holy Spirit coming and changing our passions and changing our desires and changing our wants. Does that make sense? Over the next couple of weeks, friends... Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I, I realize this, I used, I was going to say I used a bunch of big words, but I use that one word just a lot. Uh, I guess it's three words if you want to be technical. Um, I'm sharing that because I just believe it serves as a, a good groundwork for some of the things that we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about Christian universalism, which uh, You'll be like, oh, what is that? I don't know. Maybe you fall into that camp. Maybe you believe that. Maybe you find yourself agreeing with some things uh, that come out of that sphere of uh, Christianity. I, I'm excited, and I want you to be engaged with the conversation that we're going to be having. We're going to be talking uh, about uh, gender identity and sexuality because we understand that the culture has a lot to say about that, but so does Scripture. And so does, I, I was going to say, and so does the Word of God. Those two things are the same. Um, but there are some important topics that I believe that we as the church need to explore, that we need to, uh, need, to, need to have good biblical sound teaching on, especially if we're going to engage the culture well. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me? This is not, I'm not on some kind of rabbit trail. This is not a culture war. This is not just trying to pick a fight with everybody. Please hear my heart on that. That's not, that's not me, but I do so strongly believe that we need, uh, we need strong biblical foundation um, for going forward.
Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.